Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I am your host, Ty Kersley. This week, drag attacks. We covered the recent ban on drag in a special report with New York City know-it-all drag performer Gina Tonic. Sean Stefanik sits down and talks with Desiree Joy Frias about her work as a drag story hour defender. And fellow gagger J.W. Walker reports on the protests at the LGBT Center in Manhattan on Sunday, where Attorney General Letitia James participated in a drag story hour. But first, Sarah Jermaine Lilly breaks down President Biden's executive orders in the gun violence prevention news. This is Sarah Jermaine Lilly reporting for Radio Gag with the gun violence prevention news update. President Biden signs executive order enhancing the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. On March 14, 2023, President Biden signed an executive order and spoke from Monterey Park, California, the site of a mass shooting targeting Asian Americans, the deadliest ever in Los Angeles County. The executive order improves the Safer Communities Act in key ways with an approach that focuses on key areas that address the epidemic of gun violence in America. The first area is around keeping guns out of the hands of dangerous individuals. It addresses the way guns are sold and makes most buyers subject to background checks before weapons can be transferred. Sales made at gun shows may now entail background checks, including any transfer where the seller can be shown to make a profit from the sale. In addition, dealers who have had licenses revoked will not be allowed to reapply under another name. Also in this category is support of red flag laws that keep guns away from individuals at risk of harming themselves or others and safe storage laws that can reduce the chances that children, youth, and criminals can find and use weapons to commit violence. Another area uses Department of Defense purchases of arms to influence dealers to improve their marketing and security. Dealers who do not comply with Federal Trade Commission guidelines in marketing to minors or other groups will not be favored with federal contracts for purchases. An investigation will be launched into how guns are transported from manufacturers and distributors to dealers. In 2022, nearly 6,000 guns were reported missing or stolen from shipments of arms, a 250% increase since 2018. Federal funds will be set aside to support communities who have been victimized by gun violence, whether by mass shootings or soaring inner city homicides. In addition, guns and ammunition used in crimes will be easier for law enforcement to trace. Federal, state, and local law enforcement can now match fired cartridge casings to the guns from which they were fired, making it easier for law enforcement to connect multiple crime scenes and catch shooters. And finally, efforts will be increased to reauthorize laws making guns that are made entirely from plastic and undetectable by metal detectors illegal. 
That's our gun violence prevention news update. This is Sarah Jermaine Lilly for Radio Gag. Gina, I want to welcome you to Radio Gag. Hi, Ty. How are you? Great. This whole episode is called Drag Attacks. So I wanted to kind of go through the history of being a, you know, a, a drag artist yourself, but you also are, are a little bookworm occasionally with, <laughs> or I'm sure someone called you a know-it-all at one point in your life. <laughs> it's sort of like, if Gina can bring me some information on just banning drag in the U.S., as, as, as an American, I've never seen a politician stand up and actually declare they needed to ban um, any performers, let alone drag. Has this happened before? Yeah, you know, there is actually a long standing history in America of not so much drag bands, but definitely cross dressing, which, you know, drag is sort of something, a term that we've only come to use more recently to describe this art form that we all know and love as drag. But, you know, it's gone through many different names throughout the years and centuries, cross dressing, female impersonation, male impersonation, were both really big in vaudeville. Um, and so there have been numerous like different bands on cross-dressing in the United States and they date back as far as the 1800s, like 1840s. Um, and you'd actually be surprised to hear that, you know, you'd think of these bands being in places like the South, but actually two of the cities that were among the first to ban cross-dressing in America were New York and San Francisco. The late 1800s, right? Late 1800s, yeah. You know, there was, it was a time when people were wanting a little more decency, you know, that's why you think of Victorian clothing as being very covered up. And especially on the West Coast, there were a lot of these decency laws coming out because there were mining towns, you know, they wanted to attract people to come to their mining town and spend money and, and try to find gold, you know, during the gold rush. And so they were putting out these decency laws to make their towns and cities seem more, you know, upper class and like they're good upstanding people, you know? We've heard that before. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's all sounding very familiar. Um, it's funny to me when people try to, you know, talk about, you know, when the abortion rights were rolled back and people are like, wow, you're taking us back to the 60s. But I think we're not really realizing a lot of these laws that we're trying to pass today, especially these drag bans, actually have their roots in like the 1860s. Um, so in New York state, there was this law passed in the like 1800s saying that it was a crime to have your face quote, painted, discolored, covered or concealed uh, while in a road or public highway. And this was actually in response to back then, people were dressing up as Native Americans as a form of protest for like taxes and things like that. And so this law was created actually not out of decency in New York City, but more to kind of squash public public unrest, really. It was costuming in general, but it was being used politically, so. Right, costuming in general, uh, they call them masquerade laws. Um, and these laws were used throughout New York State as early as 1913 to pol uh, police trans people and queer people. And then these kind of laws existed on the books, but they weren't really um, enforced very much from then until about, again, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when the NYPD decided that they wanted to go after LGBTQ people who were in the streets. You know, uh, there was a time when 
prohibition kind of really forced um, queer people to be very underground. You know, lots of queer bars, gay bars were all basically speakeasies because it was prohibition. And so after that was lifted, people felt more free to kind of be out and about by the, you know, as their true selves. So you kind of saw more trans people, more queer people coming out and trying to live their lives in the middle of the 20th century. And so the NYPD decided they would kind of create this sort of rule or guideline. It wasn't an official law per se, that you had to be wearing three articles of clothing that pertain to your assigned sex at birth. And you can trace this sort of rule of thumb. Their legality for saying this came from that 1845 law, that masquerade law about being you know, in costume in public. So they were using that um, law to kind of create this sort of, I, I called a rule of thumb. It wasn't a law, it was just a, a guideline that you had to wear three articles of clothing that pertain to your actual sex. And they used it in convenience. It obviously wasn't something that people spent a lot of their time probably looking for. Right, well, actually no. Um, there was actually a lot of cases of the police using it to target queer people, especially trans people. And they would even use this to like full on strip search people in the middle of broad daylight who they perceive as being, you know, not in cisgender, someone who's not pertaining to the status quo of gender norms. What was the actual, if it wasn't in um, a, a rule of thumb, then what did Stonewall actually participate in by stopping it from happening again? Yeah, so, you know, a big part of the raid on Stonewall was that the police were coming to look for people who they could arrest, who were in drag or trans people. And so that was a big kind of part of what started the Stonewall Rebellion. And then according to all my sources I've read, there was no, you know, statement that was released that said that Stonewall stopped these searches. But it, if you look back at the records, it shows that there, after Stonewall happened, um, many of these searches, at least in New York, stopped. So it wasn't, yeah. Okay. And then what do we have? What do you see the parallels now in these new laws? Because it's being fairly specific with drag queen shows. Right. Right. So I, what I really think is... I think they are targeting drag queens as sort of a stepping stone to then target more things. You know, and we look back and like I was talking before with the cross-dressing bands on the West Coast, especially San Francisco, you know, those were in the name of decency. And now we're kind of seeing that same, you know, a lot of people are talking about drag being inappropriate, being, you know, unsafe and indecent for public viewing. So I'm seeing a lot of similar rhetoric that we saw what, 200 years ago, roughly? Like, that's insane. Um, you know, and that they even used, you know, back then, you know, we're targeting women too, and your skirts had to be a certain length back then. So it's scary to think that, you know, if we let this keep happening, it's it's not just going to affect drag queens, it's going to affect trans people, it's going to affect gay people, it's going to affect women, it's going to have a, a hugely rippling effect. How can uh, listeners find out more uh, if they wanted to hear from you? Yeah, you can find me on all social media platforms, Genotonic NYC. I've been posting lots of content, trying to educate people on what is happening in our country with these drag bans and with this trans legislature. Um, and I also want to point out too, you know, if you work for a company, organization, university, school, and you want to have me come talk to your group, I am opening my 
bookings to come speak with you. I can lecture about, you know, these drag bands and the history of all that. And I really want to see this pride season turned into a season for activism. And so, you know, I'd love to see other queens doing something similar, you know, instead of doing a drag bingo for a pride event, you know, do a talk about the history of drag bands or do a talk about how we can stop what's going on in our country right now. Because I think that it's going to take all of us working and talking to our friends and family and, and really doing, you know, doing this on our own. Thanks for joining us. And you're welcome back here on Radio Gag anytime. Thank you for having me. I love the work you do at Gag. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gaze Against Gun Show, here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. If you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Sean Stefanik with Radio Gag, and today I have with me Desiree Joy Frias. Desiree, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm Desiree, and I use she and Aya pronouns. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Desiree, if I may, uh, a a question. Uh, How long have you been tracking this uh, Attacks on Drag Story Hour and what prompted you to do so? So I've been defending Drag Story Hours um, since about November. I've attended maybe 10 in total, um, not only as defense, but also attending with my my child. I have a toddler. Um, And what I think is really has really called me to this kind of work is the same calling that I've had to the other work I do in community, which is all mutual aid work, community care. Um, You know, I was raised in community and unfortunately I wasn't raised in the queer community, um, which is something I really crave for as a young queer person. Um, But now that I'm older, I, I am in queer community and, you know, defense is just an extension of that. Absolutely. I I can totally uh, agree with that. Uh, Being a queer person myself, community is one of the most important things that is one of the most important uh, aspects that we have with ourselves, one of the most important tools that we can use against the uh, oppression, I should say. Um, Have you had any uh, positive results thus far in your work in tracking the, uh, in, in drag defense, I should say? Well, you know, for me, a lot of the what the fascists and, um, you know, the assorted homophobes and just the small gathering of people. I mean, um, luckily, in New York City, we're really talking about a group of 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 less than 30 to 40 people in total um, in terms of people. I've, you see a lot of the same faces um, come to these events. Um, and yes, some of them uh, are have and are quite capable of violence when we think about uh, more organized white supremacist groups and Christian supremacist groups like the Proud Boys. Um, But what I think has been quote unquote successful if you're gonna measure determinate outcomes of community defense is the fact that we have stopped them from entering the majority of the library and um, library events. And we have successfully um, at, at at almost every drag story hour, escorted families and performers safely in and out of the library, and 
protected them from, you know, the violence, the screaming, the obscenities um, by drowning out uh, the fascists and blocking them physically uh, with umbrellas and, and with our bodies. It's a job that we hope to um, work ourselves out of. There, We should be able to live in a city where um, parents can take their children to library events without facing a wall of, of white supremacists. Um, but for now, that's not the reality. And, and until it is, we will continue to step up and defend our community. So they physically do try to enter the establishments, the protesters? Yeah, so if you remember um, in early December, there was one where they were um, successful. This was one of the earliest, you know, attacked hours here in New York City. Um, and they did get into, I believe, the, the Stavros Nichols Library or something in the 42nd Street area. Um, and they did get into the actual reading room and start yelling and standing and intimidating the performer and the facilitator and everyone else. Um, but since then, they have not been able to get physically into either the library building or the, the reading room. Wow. Do, does that, do any police or any kind of security show up and how effective are they? Yeah, unfortunately uh, for everybody involved, um, the police have been leaned on quite heavily and it is, is it's actually hurt um, organizers. There have been multiple arrests, never of any of the fascists. Um, in fact, the NYPD let the Proud Boys in for free after Jackson Heights. Um, after they terrorized our community in Jackson Heights, they let the Proud Boys into the station for free through the door. Have you ever seen anybody bring guns to this? So I personally have not seen any guns, but um, the Proud Boys and their their messaging were, were quite uh, vo vociferous in that they were armed um, and whatever that means for them. Um, but, you know, as scary as it can be, especially for younger patrons or for neurodiverse um, children attending these events, um, I think that overall, what we've really proven in the last four to five months is that these events are secure. They are somewhere you can attend with your family. I went to a drag story hour on Wednesday that was actually um, hosted at the Brooklyn Central Library and no protesters, quote unquote, showed up. Um, and it was actually sold out. Um, th there were families that were turned away because the room could hold no more children and caregivers. Um, and, and that's the greatest success of all because um, my son and I were able to be in queer community, to be in community with our neighbors and to watch a really great show for an hour. That's that's wonderful. That's what we need is that love in the community. Do you have any uh, words of advice that you can give out to our listeners today? Yeah, I think that it's just um, really to lean on the strength that you have cultivated in yourself, either growing up queer or recognizing that you're queer later in life. Um, you know, it's not easy no matter what country you're from or where um, you live to to be part of the LGBTQIA community. Um, and I think that it fosters in each of us a really incredible strength and resilience that we can um, turn around and use against the people that are wishing to bring an end to our community. More than ever, every time I stand out there with my, with my comrades, I mean, 
These are autonomous organizers from hundreds of collectives all over New York City coming together to defend kids and performers that they've never met. Um, and that kind of strength, the fash cannot replicate, um, not with their you know, religious understanding or with anything else that brings them together. Nothing will ever bring them as close together as our shared experience as queer people. So lean on it, lean on your queer community. And, you know, yes, it's scary. Yes, they're loud, um, but we will outlive them. And I really, truly believe that. I absolutely do too. And I feel it every time I'm out there in the streets with our community. It's it's this unavoidable power that we all know is there. Desiree, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll see you out on the streets. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. Also, visit our Human Beings Facebook page for a more personal look at gun violence victims and their stories. Hey listeners, here's something new. We are on the good old TikTok. Just look for us at Gaze Against Guns on TikTok now. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions. Sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com. Remember, all are welcome to come to gag meetings. We are here at the LGBTQ plus 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 center with J.W. Walker. And what is going down today? Uh, so they're having a drag story hour um, that the attorney general, to James, is attending along with several other uh, elected um folks from around the city and around the state and because this is sort of a high profile drag story hour obviously the attorney general is a third highest ranked statewide elected official and her putting her imprimatur on drag story hour means something right it means that you know something about validity and so um and so because it's a high profile event uh the folks that we call the gobblers are here um they are the people that have been sort of hounding resistance protesters and then they were hounding uh vaccine supporters and hounding people wearing masks and hounding anyone who you know who didn't support trump they've been around for years and the latest thing that they've latched on to is um is uh, going against drag queen story hours because of some ridiculous right-wing homophobic nonsense and transphobic nonsense it's the last thing they can bully exactly i mean that's that's exactly what it is it's 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 scapegoatism you know i mean if you look at it from a political standpoint there's a particular party that doesn't have any actual um uh policies that would help americans and when you don't have anything that you actually can sell them all you can do is sell hatred and division and these are weak-minded folks here in new york city a very small number who are easy prey to calls toward hatred and division all right thank you i'm gonna help you yell at them for a little bit longer and then we are out excellent Well, it is time to end our show. Don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform where you'll find extended interviews. I want to give a special thanks to Gina Tonic and to Desiree Joy Frias for contributing to our show. You'll find Desiree on RPM here on WBAI. 
Thanks for listening and have a great and safe day. God help America. What have you done? Stand beside us and guide us through the mess and distress you've begun. With your biggest and your gun guns, every greedy billionaire.